Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Well, two weeks ago, Pastor Chris spoke, and uh, he had a t-shirt on that he used as part of his lesson. Uh, last week, I guess Pastor Blake uh, preached, and he was wearing a t-shirt, and he used as part of his teaching lesson. So I said, well, I don't want to break the string now. So, do you like my shirt? Thank you over here. I appreciate that. And this, is, this crowd is tough as first service. Well, funny thing happened, you never believe it. Uh, when Trina and I were on vacation, uh, we were in this nice store, and she saw this shirt on a hanger, and she goes, you would look so hot in that. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I never buy anything without trying it on. So I went in, tried it on, and I go, wow, I do look hot. And uh, <laughs> so I, it looked so good, I just left it on. And I walked out and I said, let's go, honey. And, and we're walking out and all of a sudden the security sensors go off and the security guard comes after me. I go, what's wrong? What you, what's the problem? And he goes, sir, you, you can't just walk out with that shirt. You've got to pay for it. I looked at him and said, are you kidding me? All you guys ever want is money. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll come back to the story in a minute. We're looking at uh, Father God's tender Commandments, And today we're looking at number 8. Exodus 20, verse 15 says this. You shall not steal. Now, that seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? In the original Hebrew language, it's even more obvious, more emphatic, and it says, steal not. Now you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, okay, well, okay, don't steal. I'm not a thief. I don't steal, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm hoping that we can have maybe a larger understanding and context of understanding of what it means to steal because people like you and I who look really good and together and go to church, sometimes we forget that maybe there's a little broader application than this, than just simply being a burglar or breaking into somebody's house or taking something big. See, God wants his people uh, to be people of integrity who value not only their own things, but the things of other people. And that's really what this commandment begins to tie into. Because you cannot have a healthy society or culture, or family, or church, or be a healthy person if you're one that's giving to stealing and taking things. It begins to erode and to break down culture in society. So why is God so concerned with this? Because it violates the other person's God-given rights to have property, to have goods. And this commandment really gives people the right to possess and to own things. Oftentimes there's two extremes in Christianity. There's the people that say you got to have poverty. You just you can't have anything. And then there's the other ones, I call it the gabbit and grabbit theology, that says you should have everything. God wants you to be rich. And neither one of those extremes are the truth. But God does not have a problem with us having things. Jesus noted in his teaching in a parable in Matthew 25, verse, starting at verse 14, it's the parable of the talents, where he's talking about three different people. He says, to one guy he gave ten, to another guy he gave five, and to another guy he gave one. So you see, God isn't just, uh, he isn't a social justice where he gives everybody equally. It doesn't matter how much you have, what really matters is what you do with it, because as he gave the one ten, he said, go and use it. To the one, five, go use it. And as they used it, they would bring it back, and as they used it, stewarded it, watched over it, 
multiplied it. God blessed them. And he said, this is yours. See, he wants us to use the things that he's given us. That's called biblical stewardship. And oftentimes, our possessions and our goods and the way we deal with them and the way we work with them really become a true test of our character and our attitude in life. One of my favorite scriptures, it's found in Proverbs chapter 12, excuse, uh, chapter 10, verse 22. And it says this, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. But what that means is, is that you don't have to apologize for what God has blessed you with if you've done it in the right way with the right means. God is a blesser. He is a giver. But that doesn't mean just talking about things. It's life in general. We don't have to apologize for the good things that God has blessed us with. Now the problem with stealing is that what it begins to do in people's lives, it erodes one's self-worth. Have you ever noticed how lying and stealing often go together? When one is a schemer, a manipulator, a deceiver, a stealer, it cheapens one's character and ultimately erodes a person's self-esteem. How often do you know of people who carry stuff in their life that they've never confessed, never dealt with, and they really become emotionally, spiritually crippled over time? And you can just see the bent in their life. And the Bible talks about the bent of sin. Uh, take Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. One of the motifs that you're going to see throughout the scripture, and I'm going to allude to it today, is we're all givers or takers. Uh, very few of us really are right in the middle. You're either a giver or you're a taker. God is the ultimate giver. The Garden of Eden, he, he creates Adam and Eve, and what does he say to him? He says, Enjoy, subdue, work in, use, partake of everything in the garden except what? One tree. He marked off out of this whole garden, this whole expanse of territory and land, he says, this is the one thing you cannot have. That's mine. So what do they do? <laughs> well, uh, they take, they steal from God's tree, the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil. And isn't it interesting, as soon as they did that, what happened to them? Well, instead of always picking fruit, grabbing the good produce, they get bent over. For the first time, after they partake, steal from God's tree, what do they do? They're bent over with sin. They're removed from God's Paradise, the paradise that he had created from them. For the first time, they understand we are naked. And it says they felt shame. See, that's what happens when sin comes in. Remember Genesis 27, Genesis 27 through 32? The story of Jacob, who later became named Israel because he was part of God's leadership team over Israel. Well, I call Jacob Tricky Jake. Because he stole his brother's birthright, remember when he took Esau's birthright? What happened? As soon as he stole it, he immediately fled because he was fearful and he knew there was going to be some significant consequences. He carried that with him for over 20 years as God had to begin to work in him and reshape his personage and his character to become a man of faith. So God 
could use him. But what's interesting too is, is during that time, what did he do? Well, he sowed what he reaped. Because Jacob was a very tricky, conniving, manipulating fellow. Uh, but he came against an uncle. His name was Uncle Laban, who out-Jacobed Jacob. And ripped him off. That's what happens. See, this sets in motion. It, it, it affects your self-esteem. It affects your future. It affects what you do. Now, the Old Testament is interesting. We kind of sometimes complain about it because it seems so harsh, but there's some, well, there's some ways that would probably be very apropos and applicable if we would use them today that would be very helpful. If you look at Exodus chapter 22, Exodus 22 and 23 really are kind of an extrapolation. They're, they begin to add to what was taking place with the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. God gives a little more definition to how they're worked out and lived out. Exodus 22 says this, verses 1 through 4. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and he butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he's beaten to death and no one is guilty of bloodshed, but if this happens after sunrise, there is guilt of bloodshed. Now listen, a thief must make full restitution if he is unable. Guess what? He is sold because of his theft. If what was stolen, whether ox, donkey, sheep, ox, is actually found alive in his possession, he repays it back, but repays it double. See, it's interesting. They weren't sent to prison. They were forced to make restitution. And based on the circumstances, they could be forced to make restitution up to five times its worth. Don't you think that in our culture today, that kind of system would be much better than just being punitive and penalizing the person that does it, but no, not always restitution for the person that experiences it? It doesn't happen a lot today. Some of you have been violated. You've been stolen from, and you know that feeling. And then you, then, then you compound it by, well, there was no restitution given. Numbers 5, 6, and 7 talks about maybe a person that steals. They end up having, well, a pretty significant amount of guilt or conviction, and they begin to turn themselves in and confess. You know what they had to do? Even if they went back and confessed, they had to make full restitution plus 20% to the person that they stole from. Well, what we learn is, is in the Old Testament, crime didn't pay, the criminal did. And really, that's the way it should be today. But it doesn't always happen that way, does it? Well, stealing also reveals a lack of trust in Christ's provision. See, the reason people steal is ultimately they've forgotten about God and who God is and what God can do for their lives. The reason people deceive, manipulate, cut ethical corners well, is because rather than trusting God with the needs they have, they believe their future lies in their own hands and they've got to meet their own needs. Paul said this in Philippians 4.19. You'll see it up here on the screen. I want you to read it with me. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now again, this isn't the extreme where you just sit back eating bonbons and wait for God to take care of everything. You've got to work. You've got to do your part. But ultimately, when you've done everything you can, if you're living for God, he's going to meet your needs. 
Maybe not all your wants, but ultimately, my God will supply your needs when you make the effort, when you do your part. But stealing, taking becomes the ultimate of self-reliance and really calls God a liar. He really can't meet my needs. Well, so how does, how does this apply to our lives today? See, any time you take or keep something that belongs to another person, that is stealing. Now, Jesus told a parable about a man coming to Jerusalem from Jericho. Uh, this mugger apprehends him, comes out on this road, beats him up. to be like a carjacker today, a mugger in life, a burglar in your home. Beats him up, takes everything from him. He's a taker. But then Jesus goes on to tell this story and continues this motif of givers and takers. And he says, this Samaritan came, bandaged him up, put him on his animal, took him to an inn, and told the innkeeper, pay for whatever it costs to take care of this guy, nurse him back to health. I'll be back in a few days to pay and to take care of it. A powerful picture of a giver. But as we sit here today, I know that some of you would come in and go, stealing. What's that got to do with me? I mean, I'm pretty together. You know, I'm not breaking the biggies. But I want to look at some practical ways that if we're not careful, we can easily move into these dimensions or elements of stealing. Uh, how about this? We can deceive customers if you lead a business. Proverbs 11.1 1 says this, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. The idea there is that you have accurate weights, that you give an accurate accounting. You charge people right. You don't knowingly overcharge customers or you don't sell them faulty goods just for the sake of profit. Uh, how about defrauding or taking from an employer? You take things from your company that don't belong to you. It's amazing how we can rationalize it. We can pad our expense accounts. You can do personal business on company time or just waste time by being a major slacker. That is stealing from your company. There's this guy who worked for a construction company and they were laying this large sod job during the summer. Well, each day he thought, you know something, I would want to just take a truckload of this home. So uh, at the end of every day, he would take one roll of sod home and he would roll it on his backyard. By the end of the summer, he had his backyard done and his side yard done. Now his integrity was such that he couldn't imagine taking a whole load home at one time. But the installment plan was all right. That didn't have quite the, uh, you know, the, the, the integrity issue that it might otherwise have. And isn't it easy to do that? Just a little bit of time. It's not quite as big a deal. Well, how about not paying back debts for services received? Psalm 37, 21 says this, The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. You hear the motif again? Takers and givers. Givers and takers. There's a lot of people who take on debt knowing with full intention that they're going to go into bankruptcy. God says that's evil. That's wrong. How about not paying the government? 
That's stealing from the government. They say at least one quarter of America cheats on their income taxes. Listen, I believe tax avoidance is good stewardship. Tax evasion is stealing. Okay? And there is a big, big difference. In a pagan culture, because my dad quit paying taxes when I, was, uh, when I was in high school. And that led to a lot of serious ramifications. But see, Jesus was in a pagan culture paying homage to the Roman Empire. What did he say? Honor Caesar with what honors Caesar. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Speaking of the government. Romans 13, 7 says that we're to give what's owed to the government. Listen, we receive services. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we disagree with, but we still receive services. And the Bible says, take care and pay the government what you're supposed to. Don't steal, don't cheat them. It's like the guy that wrote to the IRS some years ago. He said, I underpaid on my taxes this year, so I'm sending a check for $980. If I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest later. <laughs> See, what we really do, we, we really try and kind of, you know, kind of take care of our conscience in little ways. But God says it's an all or nothing deal. But what about the idea of finders, keepers, Losers, weepers. That's a good one, isn't it? Well, uh, Trina, I don't know if she knew. She, I think she knew I was doing this talk. So on Thursday, we're sitting in our little place now. And, uh, and she says, Terry, let's just say. Now that's a loaded thing. That's a loaded way to start, you know. Let's just say I or someone found $40. Would they need to give it back? Well, I know Trina and I know people. And I said, well, let's just say you give me some more detail to the let's just say. Because I'm thinking, she wants to give me that hypothetical situation because let's just say she found $40 in the dryer after doing my pants. <laughs> or she found $60 next to my little uh, console in my car because I was getting out my keys and it fell out. Let's just say. <laughs> so I said, honey, let's get some specificity to the let's just say. And then she gave me some things that we started talking about. It's actually before I actually found this scripture. Because I ultimately said, well, this is what I would do. I mean, let's just say you found $60 in the middle of, a, we're staying in a hotel complex now. Let's just say you found $60 in the middle. What I would say that would be the honest and right thing to do to keep from stealing is you would go tell the front desk, hey, I found some money. I'm going to keep it. I mean, for a while. I'm going to hold on to it. And she's going to give it to me to cover, you know, take care of. And, uh, and then you just say, if anybody lost some money, then let me know and we'll find out if they know how much it is. Well, because, you know, you give it to some people, they would just keep it because nobody's going to come looking. So I gave her all these different scenarios of how I would do it. Well, as I come to find out, I was pretty biblically right. Notice what Deuteronomy chapter 22 says. Did you know that in the Bible there's nowhere where it says finders, weepers, finders, keepers, losers, weepers? That's not in the Bible. This is what the Bible says. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, you must not ignore it. Make sure you return it to your brother. 
If your brother does not live near you or you don't know him, you are to bring the animal to your home to remain with you until your brother comes looking for it. Then you can return it to him. See, we are required to return the lost object or goods to its owner. And to do everything that we can to help find them. But if, if, if you can't, if it's an impossible situation, obviously then you would be free to keep it. Now some of you are really smart and listening close and you're going, ha good. So if I got an enemy and they lose something, I'm covered. Oh, let's see what the Bible says about that. In Exodus 23, 4. If you come across your enemy's stray ox or donkey, you must return it to him. See, God's concerned about how we deal with other people's property. It's like the guy who, he found a hundred dollar mistake on his paycheck one week. And he had, oh, what do I do? I think I'll tell my boss. Nah, he went and cashed it, spent it, had a good time didn't think about it until two weeks later he got his check and now it's missing a hundred dollars. Well, he's not really happy about this so he marches up to his boss and he says, hey, you made a mistake on my check. Well, the boss looks at him and he says, well, you didn't say anything about it last week. And the guy goes, well, well yeah, but you know, I can, I can tolerate one mistake but this is becoming a habit. <laughs> See, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to kind of manipulate. Well, what about to steal, to exploit a business? I mean, they're corporations. They're big companies. They can afford it. It's still stealing. What about people? You probably hear of people all the time. We hear in the news about this person that sues a big company for such a bogus thing. Did you know the Bible speaks to that too? The principle of it? Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 16 through 20, says this, If a malicious witness testifies against someone accusing him of a crime, that's a person that's basically making it up, being a false witness, accusing somebody. The two people in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges in authority at that time. The judges are to make careful investigation. And if the witness turns out to be a liar who has falsely accused his brother, you must do to him as he intended to do to his brother. Why you must purge the evil from you. Can you imagine what would happen in California? Can you imagine what would happen in the United States if you brought some kind of silly claim against a company for a million dollars, but you knew if you lost, you'd be responsible to pay them what you were asking for from them. Do, do you think we might see a little bit of uh, diminished litigation in our culture and society? Absolutely. See, God says, don't defraud, don't steal, don't take. Well, there's another way that we can steal because we can steal from God. Adam and Eve did it. God said, not this tree. One thing. Adam and Eve took from it. Malachi chapter 1, we see where God's people 
are giving God defective animals as sacrifices. When he established the sacrificial system in Leviticus, he said, I want your first, I want your best, I want your unblemished. And then he comes to Malachi, and it says in chapter 1, he says, I'm tired of you giving me your, your, your feeble, your broken, your weak animals as a sacrifice, because your heart's not in it. And then he goes to Malachi chapter 3, and he says, and by the way, part of the reason you're not experiencing blessing is because you're not blessing me and doing what I've asked you to do. And they go, what do you mean, God? We're doing all this stuff. And God says, no, no. I ask you to give a tenth, a tithe of your giving to me. And God says, you are robbing me. Now, if, if you're a guest here today, I am thrilled that you're here. And I'm going to be walking on some holy ground here for some of you. Uh, going back to my shirt. See, when people come to church... Sometimes they've been in church for years. Sometimes they just hear about church. And what do they always say? Oh, all they want is my money. Remember, there's two kinds of people. There's givers and there's takers. God's a giver. God is not in to your pocketbook. He's into you. God doesn't want your money he really wants your heart because I am convinced and I see it throughout this church and churches that I've been involved with. You show me a person's pocketbook, their checkbook, and you show me their calendar and I'll tell you what their priorities are. And just like God said in the Garden of Eden, just this, just this one portion, that's for me. He really says the same thing with our finances. This is my part. Show me that you'll honor me. Let me know that you will trust me by giving that one portion. Now listen, economic times are bad. They're tough. I know. We hear. Listen, the stock market is so volatile. You know, everything for everybody is going up and down and all around. But, but who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust your stocks, your investments? Or are you going to trust God? I see people in our church all the time. I hear them. I was sitting with a couple this last week. And somehow what I was talking about come up this Sunday. And one of them said, yeah, you tell them, Pastor. You tell, I'll, I'll stand up. I'll tell them how God's blessed us because of our giving. We trust him. Yeah, it hasn't always been easy. But he's been blessed. And unilaterally across our church, generally what I see, the people that don't struggle consistently financially, it's because they aren't takers. They're givers. And they're growing in learning how to be free from grabbing and holding on to. But they're giving. You know why? Because that's the character of God. He gives us everything. He says, I will supply for you. That doesn't mean we're stupid and we go out and spend and do all this. The thing I learn about as I give, and as I watch people at Creekside give, I don't know what people give, but people talk to me about it. I don't know what anybody gives unless they tell me. But when I hear stories and I watch people's lives, it's because they give and they learn how to steward what they have. They have to take care of it because they're a giver. 
But see, we've all got our reasons. Well, that's the Old Testament, Pastor. Yeah, it is. There's nowhere where it explicitly states and is commanded that we give a tithe in the New Testament. You're absolutely right. But Jesus does talk about it in Matthew 23. He doesn't diminish it. He just uses it as an example with the Pharisees. You do this, but your heart's not in it. And you're really not a giver. Paul said it this way. He says that we are to give according to the prosperity that we've been prospered with. The United States, you and I, whether you believe it or not, we are the richest people in the world, in the history of the world. We are the most prosperous. Can you believe it that we would not even give the minimum of what was required in the Old Testament? Because as we've seen in these commandments, Jesus raises the ante in every level of them. And ultimately, loved ones, it really does become a little bit of a hard issue. See, here's a cantaloupe. I like cantaloupe. Whoa. Sliced her open for service. But see, this is a whole cantaloupe. You know, this thing would last me for a couple of desserts. It's good. It's two bucks for this thing right here. But when you cut it open, guess what you see? You see all these seeds. Guess what happens if you have a garden? You plant them, you take care of it, you nurture it. It grows and pretty soon you can have a harvest of cantaloupe. See, when God talks about giving, he says, I just want you to give this one little portion. I just want you to put it over here. Put it in the soil of trust so that I can turn it into a harvest. And then I can take care of your needs. See, it's easy for us to begin to keep from God. We hoard and then it just gets hoarded unto us. I'll tell you one of the, I've got about 10 or 12 lessons that I'm writing down that I'm learning this summer. Can I do just quickly, one of them is this, simplify. Trina and I are basically living on the stuff that we took on vacation and bought a couple of things while we were on vacation in June. We're thinking, my gosh, <laughs> we have way too much stuff. So in about a month, come to the Riley's house and we'll give you whatever, just about whatever we, you want. I mean, we're just, we're going to give it away or garage sale it. We got too much stuff and we don't, and we can park both of our cars in the garage. God's our provider. Well, moving forward, how do we do that as, uh, as, as people of God? I want to give you a couple of points of application. Number one, maybe you've stolen something. And maybe you have carried that around for a number of years and maybe you need to repent and restore or make restitution. One of the best sayings that I believe is for every Christ follower, it's never too late to do what's right. It's never too late to start doing what's right today. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 45. Remember the story of Jesus on the cross? There's a thief. There's two thieves next to him. One of them repents. And he says, I'm a thief. I should be here on this cross. Jesus shouldn't. But he turns to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm a thief. I acknowledge that. Would you just remember me today in paradise? Jesus say, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, thieves can do what most sinners can't. See, an adulterer can't erase the emotions of the pain of what was done to their family, to another family, and to what's taken place in their heart. There's emotional carnage that may never leave. 
It may be forgiven, but it's still there. A murderer can't resurrect the dead, but a thief can make restitution. He can undo in the present what was done in the past. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, the story of Zacchaeus, this little beanie of a guy, top shelf guy, shinnies up a tree because he says, I just want to see Jesus. Why? Because he's rich. But he's been ripping people off for years as a tax collector, taking advantage of the rank and file of Israel, of Jerusalem. And Jesus walks by, looks up, and he sees this man that wants to see him. He says, come on, Zach, we're going to your house today for dinner. They go there, they have a dinner. When Zacchaeus comes out after spending this short amount of time with Jesus, he's transformed and changed. And he walks out and goes, you know what? I've been ripping people off. I'm going to pay him back fourfold. And Jesus goes, wow, salvation has come to this house. See, there's something about when, when, when you come to Jesus, when you encounter him for real, guess what's going to happen? It's going to change your life and transform the way you respond and see and deal with things from your past, present, and your future. Uh, some of you know my story when I was, from the time I was in... Uh, after fifth grade, from fifth grade till I was a junior in high school, I lived with just my dad. <clears throat> and we lived in a trailer park. He, my, my dad was pretty absent-minded. He worked shift work a week of days, a week of swing shift, a week of graveyard. And he was, so he was just kind of out there. Loved me, but, but he, was kinda, he just didn't remember that, you know, Christmas Eve. Let's go get a Christmas tree. Oh, good, Dad. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and I love Christmas, you know, so. But, but sometimes he wouldn't go grocery shopping. The food would get real low and there'd be some things that I wouldn't want. So what I did is I kind of took things in my own hands. And there was this place called Tom's Market that was about two blocks up from our trailer park. And I would go out there and I'd literally steal cold cuts and cheese. Take it home and have a feast. I did this all the time for about three or four years. Well, it was, I, I was in Bible college and my pastor spoke one time on Luke chapter 19 and talked about making restitution. And this thing, I, I told first service that I could go back and tell you just about everything in my life that I've stolen. I mean, it's as vivid now as when I did it. I don't feel guilty about it because it's, it's been removed from my life, but I remember it. But we came home for the weekend and whenever we'd go over to Trina's folks' house or where Trina used to live... Uh, before we were married, I had to go by uh, Tom's Market on Highway 212, which is just up from the trailer park that I grew up in. And one day, I just when I heard this talk about making restitution, I just I said I got to go back to Tom's Market because it was just a little mom and pop shop. I went in there one day and I just took in some money. It wasn't a lot. It sure wouldn't have covered all the stuff that I stole. But I walked in there and I said, I just need to give you this. What for? Well, a number of years ago, I used to live in Oak Acres Trailer Park, and I stole from you. They go, forget it. It's a long time ago. I said, no, I've got to do this for me. And I gave him the money. And you know something? There's something about that, that when I walked out of there, I just felt light, lifted, and free. Now, I'm not saying everybody's got to do that, but God spoke to me to do it, and maybe some of you need to do that just to release maybe guilt from the past. I don't know. See, the law of God, his word, his commandments are given not to impress us, not to simply give us knowledge, but to free us from the guilt and the entanglements that come with rejecting his law and his commands. Because some of us carry this stuff for a long time. Secondly, you've got to build a biblical mindset. 
cultivate a sensitive conscience about stealing. The little things, the big things. Don't allow the social mores of our day to be your standard, but let your standard be Jesus Christ and his word. You know what I'm learning? Listen, opportunities always come up to take this, to grab that, to steal this. And it's so innocent. I was golfing this last week in a tournament with Chris, Kyle, and on the 17th hole, you put $5 in a pot. Anybody that wants to do it, and if, you get your, if your ball lands on the green and stays there, you get to be in a drawing for this money and split it with the, the heart association that we were playing for. And I thought, that's easy, I'll do that. So I hit my ball, and oh, oh, it looked pretty good. Well, and everyone says, oh yeah, he's on, he's on. And so I, you know, I already paid my five bucks, so I got my little ticket. So I walked down there. Oh, my ball had rolled off by about six or eight inches. And so I looked around. <laughs> and I go, God, send your word, what do I do? Not really. It wasn't even a question. I just said, you know, I got to go back and give them my ticket back. And, and they said, yeah, don't worry about it. Just, um, you know, if they call your name, if they draw your ticket, just go up there and tell them you can't do it because your ball rolled off. See, it's, it's, that, that's, it's that easy. And sometimes it's not that easy. But it doesn't matter how far along you get in your journey of being a Christ follower, you're always going to have these opportunities. See, train your children. Be an example to them. They need to see honesty. And that you're not going to be one who takes. But you're a giver. You know, how many times, you know, do we maybe say something like, oh yeah, my child, they're 12 and they're really 13, but we want to save two bucks on a movie ticket. Isn't that funny? It's like the guy who, uh, the teacher called him one day. Said, sir, I got to talk to your 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 child. They're stealing uh, news. They're, they're stealing notebook paper and they're stealing pens and pencils from their uh, classmates. And he goes, ah, I can't believe that. Why would they do that? He knows I can get those things from work. <laughs> uh, consistency is important because your kids are going to pick it up. Train your children. Don't fall into the mindset of this world. Do sweat the small stuff. Because it's always the small stuff that gets just a little bit bigger and looks really big in your children's eyes. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about don't be conformed to the thinking of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that happens through thinking the way Jesus thinks. See, the, the mores, the social mores of our culture if there's a mistake, don't worry about it. It's a hassle. Don't go back and try and change it. Yes, do. Sweat the small stuff. Well, it's only fair. Or get real spiritual. That must be God's blessing. I got this extra $100. Or I deserve it. I work harder than the other person. I don't have as much. And let's face it, where I work, they don't compensate me fairly. So I'll make up for it in this way. It will begin to erode your soul and make it difficult for you to hear God. So what do we do? Work hard, give generously, and trust Jesus. Let me give you the, the New Testament admonition. New Testament admonition is pretty clear. 
Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he talks about this is how a believer, this is how a Christ follower, this is how a person that has experienced the life of God like Zacchaeus should live. Verse 28 says this. He lists a whole bunch of things, but he, I find it interesting that in his application, he makes this wonderful statement. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Can I just apply that just a little bit larger? That's for all of us, loved ones. See, we don't work just to accumulate so that we can retire. The retirement is not in the Bible, and I'm not against it. Retire as soon as you can, as long as you want. I don't care. But that's not your focal point for why you earn a living. It isn't to earn a living just so you can get a bigger house, better car, this, that, or the other. It's so you can begin to live beyond yourself and be a giver and not just a taker. That's the life of Jesus. You know what I love about these tender commandments so far? Because when I was coming into them, I kind of thought, you know, I got, I'm doing pretty good on them. I'm a preacher. But every time I listen to them, every time I study for them, I go, oh, God. That's not a problem. Oh. Adultery. I'm good there. Never done that. Ooh. My thought life can, oh. And then there's this conviction take care of that. I don't steal. Uh, well, there's this. I got to make a decision here. What am I going to do? It's really small. No one would know. And, it, and I talk to people. And, we, and I was kicking back and forth. If we did this series, you know, people would just go, oh, it's so basic. But you know what I'm hearing from people? Pastor, this has been great. I've been challenged in areas. I've been convicted. Can I tell you what? That's exactly what the Ten Commandments are about. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 3.20. He said, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by keeping the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. He's saying, don't go down this list and think that because you don't commit adultery physically, that you're pure before God because now we've got to raise it up to your mind. All of these things are done to do what? To show us we're not perfect. We're not as good as we think. We are sinners. We need Jesus. We need forgiveness. We need a Savior. Just like the thief on the cross who acknowledged it. There's a great story. Some of you have probably read it or seen it in movie or maybe play. It's an 1862 novel that was written by Victor Hugo. It's the story of Les Miserables. It's considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. The novel focuses on the struggles of an ex-convict by the name of Jean Valjean and his experience of redemption and the power of God's grace and forgiveness over human weakness. It contrasts the nature of law and the nature of grace. Valjean is released from prison after he spent 19 years there for stealing uh, a loaf of bread to take care of his family. He's living on the street, becoming a bitter man because of the 19 years in prison and now he can't, nobody will let him stay with him because he's a, he's a criminal, he's a thief. But he's invited to stay with this gracious and godly bishop. 
But that night, well, he just can't resist. And he ends up stealing from him. And he gets caught in the process, so he hits the bishop. And then he takes off with the goods. And as he's leaving, he goes out. And soon he's apprehended by the police. And, the, and he tells the police, he says, well, the bishop gave these to me as a gift as I was leaving. But the police put him in cuffs and they bring him to the bishop to verify his story. Now, would you watch this clip and see what happens? Is anybody there? I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Jesus changes everything. When you come to Christ, it will change your whole life and your whole perspective because when you experience that kind of grace, that kind of forgiveness, that kind of love, it will affect the way you see everything. It will affect the way that you live. Jesus changes everything. Just go from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. The first Adam, he was a thief. He stole from a tree of good and evil. He was dismissed from paradise. 
Jesus in Luke 23, he's on the cross, the last Adam. And he declares as he's dying on a tree, today you will be with me in paradise. That Jesus changes everything. He's the ultimate giver. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to give to us so we live to be givers and not simply takers. Do we value our goods and use it in his way? And then we begin to experience the blessing that he has for our lives.